lights, camera, action. Welcome to a bonus episode of Mixed Take, a world outspoken podcast where we discuss how the mixing of cultures and heritages in the United States influence film, television, and other forms of media and entertainment. That's right, Robert. Don't be surprised to hear us laughing and geeking out over the movies and shows that we cover. We especially love musicals. Yes, I said it, musicals like The West Side Story, Singing in the Rain, and one of my all-time favorites, Hamilton. That's right. I'm Robert Rivera, and I'm joined by my slightly cooler co-host. Now she's way cooler, and she is not throwing away her shot. Tell me what's your name, girl? <laughs> hey, I'm Dani Alicea, and today we're so excited to talk about Lin Manuel Miranda. That leads us to our quick takes. Take one. Robert, tell us your quick take on Lin. Uh, my quick take is just this. Lin Manuel Miranda is the Hillsong of Broadway musicals. Oh, snap. His music just gets me every time. <laughs> I really love that. Hits me deep. <laughs> Hits me deep, Shrek. So my quick take for Lin-Manuel Miranda is that he realized early on that if he didn't write stories that told the plight of Latinos in America or what the immigrant Latino story looked like, there wouldn't be a place for him or others that looked like him in Hollywood. So he took up his pen, which is mightier than the sword, and went to writing and telling these really beautiful stories. That is a really, really great point, Donnie. And I think we're going to flesh that out coming up right here. And that leads us to what we like to call the pre-production and runtime. This is the part of the show where we explore the life and the works of Lin-Manuel Miranda. And without further ado, let's dive in. My guy is Boricua, born to Puerto Rican parents. Wepa. He is married to Vanessa, who also happens to be the love interest of Usnavi, played by Lin-Manuel Miranda in the Broadway production of In the Heights. My question is this, how can you not, how can you not love him? He is so likable. Like, if there's, like, a likable chart, he's way at the top. Completely. Yeah. It's, like, him, J-Lo, Santa Claus. Like, they're all way up there. Santa Claus, yeah. Santa Claus <laughs> is creepy. Sure. But <laughs> he is not. Lin-Manuel, I, I could get lost in, in interviews all day. He's I feel in a lot of ways he, he represents also that geeky side of me. He is a, a huge Weird Al Yankovic fan. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Love that. Anyway. Which makes sense because Weird Al is super, like, all about the puns and the word plays. And that's Lin-Manuel's, like, that's how he makes his money. Completely, completely. Yeah. Well, I really like that point that you brought up, Donnie, uh, regarding that he realized that if he did not write stories for himself, that perhaps he wouldn't have a place in on Broadway or even in Hollywood. Let's talk a little bit about some of the stories that he's written for or that he has actually written. Yeah. So I think the first that really stands out for me is Moana, uh, you know, the, the story of Moana starring uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And who is his co-host, Robert? I know you've been practicing her name. Uh, <laughs> Auli'i Carvalho. Hey. I don't know if I said that Roger. right. I hope so. 
I really hope so. <laughs> the movie is set in ancient Polynesia, uh, where a terrible curse caused by the demigod Maui, who's played by the rock, reaches Moana's island. And to save her land and her people, she answers the ocean's call to seek out Maui and set things right. What is the part that Lin-Manuel Miranda plays? Well, he's a huge Disney nerd, like I would say most of us are. You know, we love Disney. He's a big aficionado. And so Miranda, Mm -hmm. for, you know, the opportunity to write a huge Disney blockbuster like this and write the score for it, it was a dream come true. I think this is one of those moments, right, where it's like, I made it. Yes. And we're going to talk about how he got to this point. But this is definitely a great place to start just to say, you know, you're legitimized by the fact that Disney is seeking you Mm. to write the music for one of their movies. Right. And be like one of them. You're not writing a song or a part of a song. It's like you're writing the score to a Disney film. Then you, you know, you're like started from the bottom. Now we're here. Hey, yep. <laughs> you get your whole team involved. It's like, yes, we have arrived. So he, he wrote the lyrics and music for two of my favorite songs, which are some of the most popular, popularly known for Moana is one is how far I'll go. And the other is, you're welcome. So for him, he oh, says... Oh, I thought you were going to sing it for us. <laughs> that's that's about all y'all get. Oh. Um, <laughs> you got to pay tickets for the show this Friday. Gotcha. Just playing. Okay. So according to, <laughs> to Lin-Manuel Miranda, it was like a joyous break, he says. I don't have to deal with American history. I don't have to deal with facts. I'm going to write really wonderful songs for a totally different part of the world. A brown, beautifully brown part of the world. So how cool for him to get to tell a Polynesian story with Disney's reach. Just really yeah. cool. Yes. Yes. I was going to say he, he definitely has this propensity. Is that the right word to give voice to the underrepresented? Mm. So that's why I feel like Moana was a perfect project for him because that Polynesian community is really the Pacific Islander is, is really underrepresented in in hollywood and so to form a whole movie around it oh yeah aside from like the rock and jason momoa that's and and i mean they happen to be two huge a-list stars so you know awesome but that's two you know it's like how many hundreds of caucasian actors are there and how many 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 latino actors are there and african-american but where is the the platform, if you will, for the Polynesian actors, singers, dancers. And I love that Moana not only provided the platform, but then brought authenticity with actually bringing Islanders onto, you know, record the songs and play yeah. the the main actors and actresses. It was a really cool story. And then another kind of bigger story, which kind of just a bit deviates from the the storytelling of kind of brown peoples um, in America is Mary Poppins Returns, starring Emily Blunt and Lin-Manuel. This is his first leading role in a movie. If you're not familiar with Mary Poppins Returns, it's a few decades after her original visit. um, The magical nanny returns to help Michael's children through difficult times in their lives. And Lin-Manuel Miranda, he plays the role of a lamplighter named Jack who's always there to help and lend a hand just when it's needed Um, and interestingly the movie opens with a solo from Lynn and closes with a solo from Lind I thought it was super powerful for a brown actor in uh, a huge 
a hit like this, Mary Poppins, is beloved for a Puerto Rican man to open and close the movie. It was pretty beautiful. Yeah, definitely. For Miranda, playing Jack is a big deal in terms of representation, too. That's the dream for me, he explains. Obviously, I started writing musicals because I didn't see a path for myself in musical theater. I was like, I don't dance well enough to play Bernardo in West Side Story. And if you're Puerto Rican, if you're a Puerto Rican dude, that's what you get. So there you have it. Paving his own way. Yeah, I like that he didn't want to be boxed into this is the type of role that you're going to play. These are the type of stories that you're going to tell. He didn't write a single song on uh, in this movie, oh, which yeah. is, you know, again, kind of a deviation from what he's comfortable with or what he did before. So I think as a creative talent for him, just kind of stepping outside of what's really comfortable, writing songs, singing songs for him. He did dance in the movie a little bit, did a ton of acting again in a lead role. So I, I think Mary Poppins was a good look for him. Yeah, definitely. Which I think leads us to In the Heights. I remember, I think it was last year during the pandemic, I had a friend who said, hey, you should check out the In the Heights soundtrack. And I did. I remember walking through Humble Park one day, listening to the entire soundtrack beginning to end. I forget how long it is. It's like an hour and a half or something like that. Mm -hmm. And falling in love with the Latin rhythms, with the hip hop, with the mixing, really, of all these different styles crashing into each other and thinking, what? How have I never heard this before? Yeah. And then excited to realize they're actually making a movie about this one day. And that one day's coming this year. Hey, 2021, boy. Yeah. Coming in hot. So the synopsis of In the Heights goes like this. The scent of a cafecito caliente hangs in the air just outside of the 181st Street subway stop. The likable magnetic bodega owner Usnavi saves every penny from his daily grind as he hopes, imagines, and sings about a better life. So Robert, tell us what are your thoughts about In the Heights and why it was important for Lynn to write this story? I think when we think about Lin-Manuel writing stories for himself, this is really the best example. This is his opportunity to write about the community that he was very familiar with. I don't believe he grew up in Washington Heights, but he grew up around it. He wanted to give a voice to the population there that is primarily Dominican and Puerto Rican without highlighting anything about gangs. Mm -hmm. he, he wanted to talk about the celebration of community, of the abuela on the block that, that's everybody's abuela, the music. There's a scene in the trailer where Nina is just on the playground and she says, let me just listen to the neighborhood. And the music of the neighborhood, the streetcars, all that is really what I think he's trying to capture here. On top of that though, it's the story about a neighborhood that is changing, a neighborhood that is disappearing due to gentrification and the struggles of what to do when your rent goes up and you can't live there anymore. Mm. When you can't have your business there anymore because big box businesses are taking over. So Robert, you've been a resident of Humble Park. And for those listening that are not familiar with Chicago, Humble Park is kind of in the heart of the North side, a predominantly Puerto Rican neighborhood. The park itself, it's a huge neighborhood, but there's an actual park called Humboldt Park. 
and it's probably, I don't know, probably two miles square radius, huge, really beautiful. You've lived in Humble Park, what, most of your life, all of your life? I've lived around Humble Park. How about that? I live in it right now, but I have definitely lived around it. I've been around Humble Park a lot. Yeah. First of all, let me just say this. Yeah. Underrated park in Chicago. Oh, 100%. I think it is It is my favorite park. In that park, you can find falcons and geese and rabbits and rats. And well, bridges. Rat, and Rats oh. everywhere. <laughs> Gross. And an alligator. Yeah. Out an alligator, right? If, if chance to snapper, you could find yeah ponds and hills and different trees and flowers. It is really a gorgeous place. I love taking a walk there. But honestly, growing up, the park had a stigma to it, mm-hmm. a kind of a warning that you don't walk through that park after hours or you know when it gets dark, I should say. And a place that's kind of gang infested and a lot of poverty in in the community of Humble Park altogether. So now living in what used to be kind of gang infested, having these kind of negative fear, almost based feelings about the park over the past probably five, 10 years, there's been huge, you know, gentrification is the word that comes to mind. Do you think the change that gentrification has brought to the Humble Park community is good or bad and why? So I think if you walk through Humble Park, the first inclination is to say, wow, this is so much nicer. You can walk to Humble Park and feel safe. You can jog there in the evening. Lots of people with dogs picnic at the park. But I think what was sacrificed was was culture. Hmm. As you see a lot of Puerto Ricans pushed west or even out into the suburbs, the community started to take on a more watered-down version of itself. With pockets of the community that still represent the Puerto Rican heritage, but a lot of it has changed. So sure, the gang representation isn't there. The poverty is not seen in all aspects of of Humble Park. There are definitely neighborhoods, or I should say blocks in Humble Park with condos and, and expensive homes and things like that. But that all kind of, it comes at a price, right? To, to the culture. And is that price, is it worth it? Like, should the city pay that price to now kind of relocate, if you will, that culture or those peoples to create a safer city. Usnavi obviously cares about his community, just like you care about your community. With the changes that gentrification can bring, it can also bring, you know, kind of a more safe community. Would Usnavi say change, even if it means diluting culture or dislocating the citizens or, you know, my, my, my neighbors, if it means a safer New York, it's worth it. Would Usnavi agree with that or no? No, I think Usnavi would not agree with that. What we see in the, you know, in this story is that he he runs he runs this corner store, this bodega, and he's seeing other businesses being bought out all around him. And to him, it's discouraging. It's giving him a desire to want to go back to Dominican Republic, mm-hmm. and live his life there and retreat. Because what he knew as home is slowly disappearing. Mm. So if you watch the trailer to the movie, you'll see him telling little kids, uh, say Washington Heights to make sure the neighborhood doesn't, dis- doesn't disappear. You know, mm. keep, keep the memory of this neighborhood alive. Keep the heritage, really, of this community alive. Yeah, how hard it is 
to work in, work for a community that rejects you, that um, pits you as the lower class, the unwelcome, even if you've been here your whole life. I had a conversation with somebody just the other day and I was like, yep, I'm fourth, fourth generation uh, American. And they couldn't believe it. It was like, oh, your mom grew up here? I was like, yep, she doesn't speak a word of Spanish. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, your grandma grew up here? Yep, she grew up in Oklahoma. So it's like to think of a Latina that's wow. roots are that deep here in America is like, no way. But then that the fact that some feel like, I'm in, I'm made to feel like an intruder here. I'm made to feel like I'm part of the problem instead of the solution. Uh, what I, is what I would imagine Usnavi was was made to feel. The movie touches on some other themes too. You have a college student. Her name is Nina. Mm. She is trying to survive at Stanford, but she's facing difficulties integrating. She's not prepared uh, financially. It's difficult, and she's trying to keep her scholarship. Mm. So there's a lot of Honestly, I think the that storyline in some ways is a little bit rushed. That could be its own movie. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Part two, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But it does touch on a lot of the struggles of that community. I would I would say that most of most of what you see in that story is just kind of a little snapshot of the struggle yeah. of living in a neighborhood that is that is gentrified and trying to make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have some people trying to get out of the neighborhood, trying to succeed. Other people are trying to preserve the neighborhood. And some people who are feeling completely discouraged, they just want to bail altogether. Mm. So, Rob, you work in higher education. Why would you say you know it's important for this role in this movie to fight to stay at Stanford or for any Latinos to, to you know fight or work to stay in and get through college? Well, just like... We talk about representation in the movies and film and music. I think there's, it's important to have voices all over, whether it is in politics, if it is in you know, the medical field, in law, whatever it may be, we need, we need representation in, in all aspects mm. of society. So in order for that to happen, I, I think it's important for, for Latinos to, uh, to pursue higher education and, and um, I know my brother has a PhD. Mm-hmm. That's that's encouraging to me. Um, I don't know a ton of Latinos with PhDs. I know that they're out there. I just, they're not around me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it's exciting in our family that we have a person with a PhD that other young Latinos can, can look at and say, I want to strive. I want, I can do it. Mm-hmm. He He did it. He grew up in Chicago. He went to Chicago public schools. Mm-hmm. And and now he has a PhD, so yeah. kind of the, kind of as that example. So I I would say that's also part of it, just mm-hmm. providing good role models, people that we can look up to, people who look like us that we can look up to. Yep. And if for our listeners, uh, hit us up in the comments and let us know why you think it's important for Latinos to go to college. One thing I would add is the connections that you make in college. So you go to school and your classmates are going to be your business partners. They're going to be your connections and getting a great internship, which leads to an awesome, you know, uh, position once you're out of college. All the connections, the people you're going to meet is part of your path, part of your path forward. And it opens you up to a world of opportunities that you don't necessarily think about. 
as you have things like career fairs and uh, conferences and stuff like that. It's just a great Definitely. way to, yeah, kind of think about your future in, in a different way than what you might have before. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, the last property that we want to talk about today is Hamilton. And Donnie, I really think that Hamilton is his crowning jewel. Thank you. That's what I was looking for, his crowning jewel. It is really a spectacular yes, piece yes. of art. So if you're 1% of the human population that isn't familiar with Hamilton, Hamilton, the synopsis is a, it's a Broadway musical about the life of one of America's founding fathers, and the first Secretary of Treasury, his name is Alexander Hamilton. Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote this musical. And and like, if you hear the synopsis, like when I first heard about what the musical was about, I was like, why and how do people think this is great? Because <laughs> it sounds super boring. Like a founding father, Secretary of Treasury, how exciting is this going to be? And yoikes. This is like the whole musical is a banger. Hit after hit, song after song, dance after dance. It is tantalizing. It's exciting. It's remarkable in every way. Donnie, I just wanted to mention, uh, you you said uh, that comment about it being boring. Back in May of 2009, Lin-Manuel Miranda was invited to the White House to perform one of the songs from In the Heights. Yes, yes. Instead, he said, hey, can I perform Mm -hmm. this other song that I'm working on? Uh, It's about Alexander Hamilton. And it's a rap. Yeah. (laughs) Apparently, he performed that. People were just like, wait, what? Uh, Yeah. Sure. We're going to trust you. Apparently, he got roasted. I forget. I forget if it was Jon Stewart or who it was exactly. Just roasted him and said, and whatever, whatever jokes you can think of concerning, yeah. oh, this guy's rapping about winning the fight. It, it's it's all the it jokes. It doesn't make sense. It right, doesn't right. make sense when you, when you hear the concept. Yes. It's like, no, there's no way that John is going to be amazing. No. And then it is. And then you're hypnotized. You are captivated <laughs> yes. by, I really love what they, what, what they've done with it on the Disney plus Mm, mm -hmm. a platform the different camera angles how they highlight that that rotating stage Mm -hmm. but donnie i mean what makes this what makes this play so special i think part of what makes it special is it's primarily a brown cast so i i go to I, i try to go to at least one play a year in here in chicago and, you know, we try to see the big ones, you know, the Wicked's, uh, the Lion King, Phantom of the Opera, uh, Miss Saigon. So we love my family. We love story. What was remarkable, remarkable and different about Hamilton, it was a lot of people that looked like me and that looked like my family. And I don't typically see that on stage here in Chicago. Typically the casts are white or black maybe you'll get a brown person in the background. So the fact that, you know, this was largely brown people was was stellar to me. Yeah, we're used to things getting whitewashed. This this move or this mm-hmm. uh plays brownwashed. Yes, absolutely. It does what what we're used to, right? Where there may be uh a latino played by just a darker skinned white person. Mm-hmm. Here, 
not that he's trying to trick us. Not that any of us is fooled. We understand who the founding fathers were. Yeah. He's just giving that opportunity now to to see it in a different light. And I think that by doing that, it allows him to parallel with contemporary issues. So that line, immigrants, we get the job done. Mm. You see two people of color giving high five because that is still a contemporary plight, right? Immigration, it, it's a hot topic. It is something that, that we continue to talk about. But to highlight that this is, immigration isn't new. Yeah. And it was welcomed. Mm-hmm. And he, how he uses the play to kind of uh, to talk about some of those of those issues. And it is interesting mm-hmm. how how the only white characters are, are really the villains. Yeah. Yeah. King George the third and and of course the, the messenger, I forget. Exactly oh, that's called, right. But... Yeah, yeah. The name of the messenger. That's aw- yeah, that's a inch very interesting. I didn't realize it, but now that you say it, you're totally right. And you know, it's also um that taking advantageness of immigrants in in that statement. Now that you you say it, you bring it back. I'm like, oh man, you're right. That high five is like, oof, that moment where it's like, wow, we take immigrants for everything that they can give us. And then we villainize them when we've had enough. We start Mm -hmm. to talk about borders that need to be built or the jobs that they're taking from Americans when it's like, what American is lining up to pick oranges? Come on, you know? It's it's not the white collar jobs that, you know, many immigrants are taking. It's the blue collar. It's the really tough, rugged work. We capitalize on it. We make money. We profit from it. Oh, boy, the immigrant journey. Definitely. You know, I love how he has also used Hamilton to help others. And I think specifically of Hurricane Maria efforts. Mm-hmm. And how, so this, I heard him talk about this. Alexander Hamilton was from St. Croix or lived in St. Croix, came to the United States. He was kind of discovered. He, he wrote about the, hur- the hurricane in St. Croix and how it devastated the land. And his writing got attention. And so m- money was raised to get this guy to the United to the colonies, I should say at the time, mm-hmm. and educate him so that one day he would return and contribute back, you know, give back um, to the community in which he came. Mm-hmm. He never went back. Hmm. Okay, spoiler alert. Right, right. He gets shot. He gets shot. <laughs> but what Lin, Mar- Lin Manuel Miranda, sorry, um, said was, he took the play back to Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria, kind of as a way to kind of close that story. Mm. So one hurricane devastated Hamilton's land. Another one devastated Puerto Rico. Lindsland. But he brought it back, yeah. Interesting. That is so interesting. What were some other things about the story that you appreciated or thought like had the Lynn spin on it, if you will? Well, I think that if we're talking about like mestizaje, Mm -hmm. think about the idea that this play combines hip hop, R and B, pop history and then again the diverse cast and just brings it all together it doesn't sound like it should work on paper it sounds like it should be corny Mm -hmm. and yet yeah it's not the the thing about it is his lyricism is so tight his rhymes are incredible 
that you think maybe there's going to be one or two good songs. And, and he shares those. Yeah, those lyrics are shared by so yeah. many different people. So many people have great opportunities to, to show off their rapping abilities. I think of um, uh, Thomas, or no, who is it? Uh, the French, uh, Lafayette, sorry. I oh, think of Lafayette yeah. rapping. I think of Angelica rapping. Other mm -hmm. people just have these great uh, uh, verses. The melodies are amazing. The music is is inspiring. It's hype. This is why I said the Hillsong earlier because, so yeah. you know how the Hillsong music is kind of built to kind of get you emotional. It starts off small mm -hmm. and it builds up and then hits you and you're just like, I'm crying. I feel like that's what he does. And I don't know why it is, but I'm watching Hamilton and I'm getting emotional. I'm watching In the Heights, emotional. Uh, Moana, just hearing... <laughs> You know how far I'll go. I'm getting emotional. He has a gift yeah. to really just hit the heart with melodies and 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 rhythms and and the different dynamics in, in songs. Yeah, to make to be able to tell a story and make people understand and care about something that you care about takes some crazy skill, ability, talent. It really is an art and a science, and he's figured it out. So, like when he talks about Moana, um, that first song that um, is in the movie, How Far I'll Go, he's like, I knew if you just take a look at Little Mermaid, the you know the one hit, the biggest hit from the um, from that movie starts off in like that first ten ish minutes. So he's like, we need a huge song that comes out that first kind of. Uh, run of the the movie to make people really feel what the main character is feeling and kind of delve into that person's story and that that character's journey he so he's it. like yeah so he's like he has a science to it but then there's also the art to okay, i'm gonna make you care about something that i care about which is so hard to you know it's hard in conversation to do that but with music there's something really beautiful that happens that can just kind of melt hearts of stone. And he does that in Hamilton for sure with all of his writing, but in Definitely. Hamilton, it was really cool to sit in that theater and literally sob. I was sobbing because I was watching this musical. I was like, Oh my goodness, I'm in public and I don't even care. This is so heart wrenching. You know, it's beautiful and tragic and sad and true. It was, yeah, everything I wanted and more. Nice. So if y'all haven't seen it, at least watch it on Disney+. Plus, and if it's playing live near you, please get a seat. Yeah, Lin-Manuel is all over Disney+. Plus. He really is. <laughs> Very true. Man, this has been such a great discussion on Lin-Manuel Miranda. So that leads us to the final part of our show that we call post-production. What is post-production? This is where we go beyond the film and give our final takes on Lin-Manuel Miranda. So whether, you know, it's a personal takeaway or something that's just influenced um, or a way he's influenced the entertainment world, that's what we'll share. So Robert, give us your, your final take. Well, I think when you watch Hamilton, it's hard not to see the parallel between Hamilton's life and, and Lin-Manuel Miranda's life. This idea that he has one shot. I, I don't know if it's Hamilton. 
if that's represented in the actual play of Hamilton or in the Heights. I, I know that when he wrote in the Heights and that went to Broadway, so much of his career is writing on the success of that, of that play. Mm. And he's a guy who had done little things like the electric company. He used to have a little bit on the electric company. Mm-hmm. And he's trying all his life to, to make that one hit. So I feel like every time he gets the opportunity, he does not throw away that shot. He, he puts his heart and his soul into everything. I actually, I, I read something somewhere or, or heard in an interview that every time he performed Hamilton, he always gave it his all because he knew that it was always going to be somebody's first time watching it. Hmm. He never wanted to disappoint or, or take a day off or just, or just kind of phone it in because he didn't want to give anybody a bad first impression of his performance in Hamilton. And I'm sure the same thing with in the Heights, but I love that about him. He, he takes, you know, he's really just seizing the moment, right? Mm -hmm. Not throwing away my shot. Mm -hmm. And I am excited to see how else, how else he continues to seize moments. Mm -hmm. And I really do hope he never does phone it in because when he puts his heart into something, he really does create art that resonates with, with people in a way that, um, that is so relatable. Like he's not talking about things that I cannot understand. He's talking about mm-hmm. things that, that I definitely have experienced. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's like, maybe we haven't lived through, um, a neighborhood that's changing, but we've all been through change or, uh, you know, maybe it's not like a world devastating, Maui has the demigod has, you know, brought great calamity on our world, but we've definitely gone, all of us go through hardships and trial and struggle. It's a common human experience that is just the genius of Lin-Manuel Miranda. He taps into that emotional, that um, difficult human experience that we all have. And he makes it just so relatable and so inspiring to, like you said, take your shot when you got it, take it. It's awesome. Exactly. Well, unfortunately, uh, that brings us to our end credits. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Mixed Take. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us five stars wherever you tune into your podcasts. Also head over to world.spoken.com, a site preparing the Mestizo Church for cultural change, where you'll find information on consulting services, thought-provoking blog posts, and other great podcasts such as The Feature, Questions from the Pew, and the one and only Mestizo Podcast, the show for the mixed people of the mixed church. Yes, they're in season two. Please check them out. Good stuff there. Yeah. Special thanks to our producer, Michelle Perez. Hey, girl. Also, thanks to Emmanuel Padilla and the World Outspoken Crew. We got, there's some really good people in the World Outspoken Crew, by the yes, way. Yes, yes. And they never, they never get named. So we shall not name them here either. <laughs> oh, my goodness.
<laughs> name them, name them. We hope you join us again as we continue to dive into the world of culture influencing content creators. Until next time, cut. It's a wrap. <laughs>